corner that says recording. Don't worry about it. Okay, so Acts chapter five, the second half of it. The first half that we talked about last week talked about honesty with Ananias and Sapphira. And then tonight we're going to talk about this idea of jealousy and wisdom and, and, and how we can find uh, freedom from jealousy in the wisdom of God. So verse 17 starts out immediately as Eric read with jealousy. It says that the Sadducees, the high priest, uh, part of the rulers of, of Israel were jealous. They were just flat out jealous of the apostles and the attention they were getting. And, and you and I know what jealousy does, right? <laughs> it does no good for us. But, but it happens all the time. That, that we are filled with envy or jealousy. Uh, and, and in this case, I really believe it was the Sadducees, the ruling parties of the people of Israel. They were just jealous of the attention, the devotion of the people. I mean, by this time, if you go back and look at the numbers, there are over 5,000 followers in Jerusalem following the way, following the name, as it says later, of Jesus. And so what did they do? Well, Jewish leaders, they kind of have just a few tricks that they can do. And so verse 18, they arrest them. And this time, they don't just arrest Peter and John, like last time in Acts chapter 4, they arrest all the apostles. And during the night, though, God, of course, will not be stopped. During the night, an angel breaks them out of jail and tells them to go preach in the temple courts in verse 20. And, and the rulers and, and the guards are very confused in the morning about what is happening. But what happens? Sure enough, they find them in the temple courts, preaching as they were before when they healed the man. If you remember back in Acts chapter 4, they healed the, the lame beggar, and they were preaching in the temple courts. And here they are again doing the same thing, telling people about the name of Jesus. And when they were found by the Sadducees, again, they were so furious but they were afraid of the people because clearly people liked the apostles. Clearly people liked the message they were hearing. And it says that they were afraid. And so they, they, they bring them in before the Sanhedrin, which just to clarify, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are sort of like two religious parties, almost like political parties. And then the Sanhedrin is the ruling group that composed that had people of both sides in the Sanhedrin. Right. So the Sanhedrin is really like the almost like the, the Supreme Court. Of, of ancient Israel, okay? And so here we have two, two parties, but, but one group of people, they bring them before the Sanhedrin and they said, hey, apostles, hang on, perhaps you forgot, we told you not to do this very clearly just a few days ago, right? We told you not to do this. And yet here you are doing it again. And then they say something that's really telling about their hearts. They say, you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And here we see some of the deeper issues with the leadership of Israel at the time. They felt guilty, right? They're looking at the apostles saying, why do you keep saying that we killed this guy? Why do you keep talking about this Jesus guy? He's dead. It's gone. He was, he was a blasphemer. Why do you insist on making us guilty of this man's blood? They're feeling guilty and they don't want it to be true. They don't want it to be true because if it's true that this man, Jesus, was righteous, was did rise from the dead, then they are all guilty of his death. And so not only are they are jealous, but they're afraid. They're afraid of having this guilt on their hearts and on their hands. Not only is this Jesus movement making these ruling parties look bad, 
it's also taking away their power and their influence among the people. And these are the real issues, aren't they? See, here we see that this ruling group is afraid of losing power and influence. They're afraid of losing status. They're afraid of losing their comfort. They're afraid of losing everything that they have. And let me just challenge you that you and I are all guilty of this at one time or another. That we get jealous of others or we get fearful that we may lose the things that we have that make our lives comfortable. But Peter and the other apostles say to them, we told you. We understand that you're upset with us, but we told you this before. We don't fear you. We follow Jesus. Just like they said in Acts 4.19. This is almost like a mirror little image of what happened just two chap- or just last chapter. Who would you rather listen to? Would you listen to you people or God? We follow the risen Lord and we will preach him. We will not stop because of you. And then the apostles get really really, really out there. And they outright in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of this ruling court of Jewish people, accuse them of killing Jesus. Say, you did indeed kill him. His blood is on your hands. But we are witnesses to his resurrection. And these things they were saying contradicted everything that the Sanhedrin, the ruling party, had been saying to and teaching the people. And it says in verse 33 that they were so mad. What did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. They were so mad. They said, we have to find a way to put these guys to death. They wanted to do the same thing they did to Jesus. Just as Jesus kind of upended the apple cart, as they say, the apostles were continuing the same thing. They were jealous. They were afraid. They were afraid of losing status and power and control, and they were ready to take more lives to keep these things from happening. But fortunately, fortunately, not all of them were so foolish and so jealous and so mad. The scriptures tell us in verse 34 that there was a man, a Pharisee named Gamaliel or Gamaliel. I'm not really sure, but he steps in anyways to save the day. He says, hey, apostles, why don't you guys step outside for a second? I have to talk with my people. Okay, so you apostles, you guys go outside. We need to talk. And then he gives, frankly, a very wise answer, right? He says, hey, you guys, I understand how mad you are. I understand how mad we are. But remember these other things that happened in the last recent memory? There was this guy named Thudius or Theudas who had some 400 followers. But when he was killed, it just sort of, went away. And then around the time of the census, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, there's this Judas from Galilee who did the same thing, who led an uprising, but it eventually just went away. And we now don't know much about these things, but these were two examples given from recent memory that they would have all known about. And they said, yeah, you're right. And if the rulers really truly believed that these men were simply trying to teach that the apostles were simply trying to preach this this idea that was not from God, that it would go away. He said he's trying to argue with them. He's trying to argue with his colleagues. Hey, if this Jesus guy is not who he said he was and did not rise from the dead, then this Jesus thing is going to go away. 
He says, leave them alone, verse 38. But, verse 39, we need to be ready. He says, we need to be ready to acknowledge that if it is from God, we need to stop fighting them. Verse 39, he says, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. And in fact, if they are indeed from God, and Jesus was who he said he was, then we will be fighting against God. It's a pretty amazing argument. And amazingly, they listen. And they let them go. Well, no one in in this world, I guess, is perfect. They actually have them beaten. And then they let them go. Right? It's like a, like a, a shove out the door. And the apostles, it says, actually were praising God because they were beaten and worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And then they just kept preaching anyways. I love this story. I love this story for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I've been doing recently that I wanted to share with you is when I read narratives, when I read stories in scripture, I've been trying to place myself in the story. Have you ever done this? You ever read a story and sort of think, who would I be in this story, right? Um, and when you read a passage like this, it's it's sort of fun, you know, because our first instinct is, oh, I'd, I'd be one of the apostles, right? One of our first instincts is to say, oh, I would definitely be one of the apostles. I love Jesus and I know I could do it. Um, but then I kind of get honest with myself. And then I sort of think, you know what? I'm probably a lot more like the rulers. I'm probably a lot more like the Sanhedrin and the religious people in this story. Or maybe maybe I'm more like one of the bystanders who's not really involved. But I know my heart. You know your heart. Do you get jealous? Do you ever fear losing what you have? Do you ever judge others for fear of losing what you may have? Do you ever put your comforts in the things that you cherish and value of this world above God? Many of us, our first answer is, no, I don't do that. But do you? Because even if we're not maybe the rulers or the Pharisees, many of us are probably like the bystanders in this story. People in the temple courts listening, but maybe not joining yet. Knowing that these apostles are are against the rulers and we're sort of afraid, well, I don't want to stick my neck out there. What if I get arrested too? I heard they beat them. I don't want to get beaten too. I heard they had them flogged in in the Sanhedrin. I don't want that. I'm just going to sit back and see how this plays out. Many of us are are like people that aren't even mentioned in the story, and we sort of lay low and try to hide, try to hide our faith a little bit. Remember Peter, when Jesus was arrested, what did he do? He still went with Jesus to the high priest's house. But when they asked him, hey, aren't you a Galilean? Nope, not me. Hey, didn't you just hang out with Jesus? No, 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 no. I'm just here to watch like everyone else, right? Let me suggest to you. That what the Sanhedrin, the rulers, do in this story, we all do it sometimes in our lives. And we're definitely all capable of doing it any time in the future. We all get jealous. We all get fearful. And we sometimes, without even realizing it, put people in a position to be our enemies, don't we? 
We think of other people with different ideologies or different viewpoints as our enemies. But I've said this many times and I will continue to say it. Friends, we do not have enemies. As followers of Jesus, we simply do not have enemies. To follow Jesus is to do things like being quick to listen and slow to speak. To follow Jesus is when someone challenges our belief or ideology. We do not arrest them. We do not kick them out. We do not have them beaten. We do not treat them with anger or aggression. But we ask questions. We seek to enter into a relationship with someone different than us. We seek to understand, to talk with them, not to fight with them or disagree with them. I mean, consider how Jesus did this when he approached a sinner. He did not judge them. Instead, he asked them questions. He invited them to a meal. He sat down and talked with them. And in this story, when we look at what's happening, we want to be the apostles. We want to be the Pharisee who tried to save the day. But we are so often quick to anger. We are so often quick to judge those people with ideas and perspectives that we don't understand or we don't agree with. We, as Christians, as the religious folks, are the people who often resist ideas that make us uncomfortable. And I get it. For the record, the reason I say these things is because I know the feeling and I get it. Consider how hard this would have been for a Pharisee or a Sadducee. They have given their entire lives to this way of life. They have grown up, given their whole everything to this way of life and following the law and doing everything just so. They live their whole life thinking this is how it should be. And then this rabbi comes from Nazareth, this backwoods town, and turns everything upside down. And all of a sudden, something major changes and sinners are worshiping God. Tax collectors and prostitutes are hanging out with a rabbi. And these people thought this cannot happen. This is wrong. This is different. This is not how it's supposed to be. And they probably thought, we know they thought this. It tells us throughout the Gospels. We have to stop this. They probably thought, we have to stop this for God. They probably thought they were doing the right thing. I want to ask you, be honest with yourself, because we're not having a dialogue right here, but be honest with yourself. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had something you're so passionate about that you thought, I have to fight this fight for God? I have to, uh, by any means necessary, do this thing for God? Let me ask you this. Why do we think we have to fight for God? Now, I'm not talking about standing for our beliefs or preaching truth. Of course, that is what we are called to do. But when it comes to confrontation, when it comes to people we may disagree with, why do we think we have to fight for God? Why do we think God needs us to fight his battles? Why do we think we are so important that God needs you to make sure his divine holy work is completed? Church, I am not belittling you or your calling, but what I'm trying to say is this, is when it comes to conflict, when it comes to our fear or our jealousy, history tells us that when we fight for God, it does not work. 
I'm just going to give you some highlights from the last couple thousand years, okay? Spanish Inquisition, Crusades, all the wars in the Reformation. How about the last couple hundred years of colonialism and missionary history of the last couple of hundred years? How about how did all those things go? Are all of these people around the world Christians? Do we have world peace? At those times, people thought they were doing these things for God. They were fighting for God. The same way the Pharisees thought they were fighting for God. People thought that they needed to convert others at all costs. But church, let me remind you, the reason we are all capable of doing the same things the Pharisees did in this story is because we are all easily seduced by evil when our comfort is threatened. When you or I, our life is, our understanding, our ideology, our comfort is threatened, we are easily seduced by evil to do things that are actually not in the will of God, but we claim them as the will of God. Even today, Around the world today, many Christians feel like their loss of influence in the world means they have to fight at all costs to keep Christian values. And they do things that are so opposite to what God would have us do. Church, we are no different. Every single one of us can be tempted by this same jealousy and fear as the Pharisees. I mentioned some historical examples. Just Think about the last 30 or 40 years, things that people have done in the name of Christ. In the name of truth, fighting for truth. In America, where I come from, Christians have bombed abortion clinics, thinking that that's what God wants. Parents and churches have forced young people into camps and things where they're committed to praying the gay away when someone is struggling with homosexuality. And thinking that this is what God wants and really what it's doing is it's creating a shame culture among young men and women. Churches have slandered political opponents because they don't line up with their political views and have slandered them personally and fought with them. Women have been shamed for entering churches if they're known to have divorces or abortions in their past. Churches today still are guilty of promoting leaders and people and fighting for things that limit or create discrimination based on color, religion, or even sexual preference. Church, I'm going to say something that some of you may disagree with me on, and that's fine. The referendum that just passed in Switzerland about the burqa ban, I think it's a similar thing here. That people were afraid of losing their way of life, and they voted on something that ostracized others. They said, we don't understand it. And so we're going to stop it. We're going to fight for our way of life. And that's fine for many. But as Christians, we are not called to have enemies. We are not called to have outsiders and insiders. We are called to love one another. We are called to love all people. And I know people think they're doing it for God. And I know people think they're fighting for truth. But when we look at this story in Acts, I'm not comparing all those things I just mentioned to this story one-to-one, but what I am saying is Christians often think like Pharisees, and they say, God wants me to do this. God is calling me to fight this fight. Church, I'm going to say this, and I mean it. God is not calling you to fight. God is calling you to die. 
Jesus Christ is not calling you to fight for him. He is calling you to lay down your life for others. God is calling you to be humiliated, to be beaten, as were the apostles, and for you and I to rejoice afterwards. Jesus Christ calls his followers to die for their neighbor, to die for the person that considers them an enemy. Other people may consider us their enemy, and that's fine. We cannot control others. But you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, do not have enemies. We just don't. If we feel like someone is our enemy, Jesus Christ calls us to lay our lives down for them. That they would know there is a love that can conquer hate, that can conquer anger and jealousy and fear. So then, let us examine our hearts. What brings up your jealousy and fear? What are you afraid of losing? We are all capable of being like the Pharisees in this story. Last week, we talked about honesty and presenting our honest hearts before God and the Holy Spirit. And I challenge you, each one of us, to honestly examine our hearts. What makes us jealous? What are we afraid of losing? And when we feel that way, when we're afraid or when we're jealous, how do we act towards others? Because church, when we get jealous, when we get afraid of losing something, you know what that is? That is our heart. That is God revealing to us that these things have become idols in our life that we have placed above God. Right? These are the things that create jealousy and fear in our lives are the things that we are actually putting above Christ. In America, obviously, American, this is where I come from. This is a huge problem in the church. The church is so committed to the traditional way of life or to how things used to be or to whatever it is they're hanging on to. They have made this an idol above Christ and become like the Pharisees to say, no, we cannot have any change. We, we have to keep things the way it's been. And then they act in a way that is not like Christ. And so for you and for me, this is something we can use to examine our hearts. When we feel jealous, when we feel anger, when we feel afraid of losing something, examine your heart and see, is there something I am putting above worshiping God and Christ? The Pharisees were putting their traditions and their way of life up as idols above worshiping God. They refused to see Jesus because they were clinging to these idols that they had made in their life. They were worshiping their tradition, their control, their power, their influence, whatever you want to call it. And when I see the wisdom of this one Pharisee who stood up, what did he say? He said, listen, I don't know what to do with all of this, but I do know, I do know one thing. We shouldn't fight against God. We need to stop fighting for God and we need to join with God. And so church, that's what I want for us. I don't say these things to make us feel bad. I don't say these things to get you upset with me about my position on one thing or another. I say these things to encourage us to stop fighting against what God might be doing and join with what God might be doing. Because we don't have to fight. Let us remember that, that God wins. When we read scripture, God will accomplish his work. God will accomplish his mission that God wins. He's already conquered death. Therefore, you and I have nothing to fear. And so what do we do? We slow down and we look around us 
We stop fighting for God and we start loving other people in God's name. We start laying our lives down for our enemies, for the people we disagree with, and we start having conversations and relationships with people we don't understand. And so, church, let me encourage you to examine your hearts for jealousy, for idols you have placed above God. Seek his wisdom. And then, when we seek to join with God through the Spirit, then we can be free from our jealousy, free from our fear. We can be free to have an honest conversation with someone who we really don't understand and disagree with and say, hey, tell me about this. Tell me about why you believe this way. Tell me about why you believe in this thing. And if we needed a reminder, if we needed a reminder that we are called to lay our lives down and die for Jesus, Jesus Christ gives us the communion table. And so I want to encourage you now to go ahead and grab your, your communion elements if you have them. Because now we remember what Christ did. We take time to, to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. To remember that Christ laid his life down for those who disagreed with him. And that is really, in many ways, what communion is all about. For you and I to be with God in his sufferings and in his sacrifice.